What I'll be talking about tonight is not directly related to resource scarcity, but it's more a general introduction about the role of things that even nowadays in developing countries are still key, namely education and also the gender dimension that we care about a lot, um, and how that played out in now developed countries um, 200, 300 years back. So we will take a look back, starting essentially 500 years ago at Reformation times. And what this will be about is mainly looking at, at Germany, because that's what I have some knowledge on. And you may feel free to extrapolate to other countries if you think it fits. But I will only take a stance on things that happened on German soil in the past. So it will be about sex in the sense of gender. If you are now disappointed, I'm really sorry. So um, we'll be uh, looking at the following uh, things. So the gentleman on the left is Max Weber. He is the person who came up 100 years ago with the so-called Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. So he um, tried to make a connection between religion and economic development, and uh, in particular, we may also try to view religion as one element <coughs> of culture. Yeah? So I think that even nowadays, culture plays a key role in either fostering economic development or holding it back. Yeah? So we will be talking about these issues. The gentleman on the right is uh, Martin Luther. He is the person who um, pushed forward the Reformation. And then we will also be looking at some girls, and that will be the gender dimension of education. But uh, let me start from the following. Among economists, and I'm an economist, um, for a long time, culture and religion have been completely neglected. Economists had this idea of there are prices, there are quantities, and culture doesn't matter. Yeah? But over the last years, um, they finally came to the conclusion that these things are relevant also for development. And one of the most prominent theories in that particular context is the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism by Max Weber, which he wrote in 1904. And that work attributes an important role to religion in economic development. Okay? Now, the idea of the presentation today will be that we, in some research work over the last years, we try to take a fresh look at Max Weber's work and at the role of religion and what it is about religion that drives economic development. So what I'll be talking about is based on three research papers uh, that, if you ever care, you can send me an email and I'll send you the links or I'll send you the papers. So that is the material that this lecture is based on. So what we try to see is what is it really about religion and in the particular context here it will be about Protestants versus uh, Catholics. Yeah? What is it that makes Protestants and Catholics different in terms of their economic success, in terms of their economic development? What Max Weber said is there is a particular ethic. Yeah? Protestants are more hardworking compared to Catholics. And we put against that an alternative hypothesis, which is that it's about education differences. Protestants 
were earlier on in history higher, more highly educated, and that is it, what drove their comparatively better economic development. So I will show you some data, I will show you pictures and stuff. The main results of this study will be from 19th century Prussia, so what now is a large part of today's Germany. Um, and I will also give you some evidence from other countries around the world, and I will also take uh, a look at today's Germany, or at a modern-day developed economy. And there I will try to make the point that many of these processes of economic development that in the context of Protestantism and Catholicism started 500 years ago still show traces today. So even in a secularized country where we believe these things are long, no longer important, no one goes to church, and so on, so religion seems to be irrelevant even in developed countries, still there can be this intergenerational component that say your great-great-grandparents were Protestant and they had higher education, and from then on it perpetuated that these families had a, more, a better education track than, say, Catholic families. Let me try to, to summarize what Max Weber said. So Max Weber said more than 100 years ago something along these lines. Um, he said that there is something that he calls a Protestant ethic that can account for the greater economic affluence of Protestants relative to Catholics. And he saw that all in the context of industrialization. So what we consider to be the first step for the long-run development. And he was talking about things like the calling that Protestants had a different mindset and felt that they should have a different approach to life. And some of the main channels that Max Weber taught, uh, talked about were uh, working harder and being thriftier. Yeah? And that was his thesis. Yeah? So the idea is essentially, okay, People spent their childhood, and then at some point we arrive at age 16, 18, 14, we enter the labor market, and then Protestants just work harder. Yeah? And that opens an avenue to success. And our idea was to say, well, couldn't it be that these things even start earlier? That say, in school something is happening, and that Protestants get a different amount of education, which is the process by which you may enter a path of development. Also, in the last 100 years, people have gone back to Weber's thesis, and there are libraries full of works trying to interpret what he said and reinterpreting what he did. But I'm a more data-driven person, so I try to see in the data what is there. And when you go to the data and try to see across countries what is the role of the religious variables like the fraction of Protestants, of Catholics, of Jews, of Muslims, and does that explain differences in economic <coughs> development? These studies have a hard time pinning down an effect of religion or of culture in general. But the problem with that is these are studies across countries and across countries, obviously, not only the dominant religion changes, but the political system is different, the climate is different, blah, blah, blah. So it's hard to pin down what is really the culture or religion dimension of it. So 
you think about Scandinavia and about Sicily, these areas are not only different because uh, there are Protestants in Scandinavia and there are Catholics in Sicily or in Italy, but there is more. One is close to the polar circle, it's, it's damn cold, and in Sicily it's damn hot. So there may be all these things that make economic development easier or more difficult. So our idea was, in our analysis, to look within one country, in our case Prussia or Germany, where, for historic reasons, that we talk about a little bit more in a minute, we have both Catholics and Protestants in roughly equal share, one third, two thirds. So we have variation within the country in these religions, but they are all within the same state, the climate is roughly the same, they are all within the same political system and so on, so that there we may be able to tease out how much of the variation in economic development is due to these cultural things, to religion. Yeah? We thought we would try to go back really to the roots of Protestantism. So what is it that Martin Luther, who brought forward the Reformation, thought about what the Protestant should do. So here are these quotes that the German-speaking among you may appreciate, but the rest of you may get bored, so I translated them for you. So what Martin Luther wrote in 1520 is that above all, the foremost and most general subject of study in schools should be the Holy Scriptures and the Gospel. And would to God that every town had a girls' school also. So we will be talking about that particular element, the girls' schools, later on. So he was, as early as 1520, someone who said, girls should go to school. That was unheard of in many, many other parts of the world. Boys would go, but girls, no, no, no. So here is a quote where he says, the kids should go to school, yeah? both boys and girls. But then he also talked, or he tried to address in sermons and in books he wrote, that the rulers of the time should build schools. Furthermore, he then, in other sermons still, uh, told parents to send their kids to school. And he makes this statement here that I quite like. I see that common people are dismissive to maintaining the schools and that they withdraw their kids from instruction altogether and turn solely to the care for food and bellies. Yeah? That they don't, even if there is a school, they don't send the kids there, but rather keep them at home. Now, he tries to, so to say, approach education from two angles. He says, in the first place, there must be schools, because otherwise, where should they go? There are no schools in the first place. But also then he pushes both parents and kids to use these schools, to go to school and to learn. I should maybe say, at this point, I'm neither Catholic nor Protestant, so I have no personal stake in this. Yeah? It's just uh, my mutual view of uh, these historic things. So what is nice about this, he did not have Martin Luther at the time already economic development in mind. He was personally religiously motivated. He thought reading and going to school is important because then people can read the Bible. He wanted to cut out the power of the priests in the Catholic Church. Yeah? So he wanted people to be able to read for religious reasons. 
But then throughout history, being able to read open new perspective for you also in the labor market or in general for your personal development. So it went beyond the religious sphere. Economists um, put education under the head of human capital. Yeah? And some people like that, some people don't like that term, but that's what economists do. So education is seen as an investment, which later on translates also into higher earnings, so into higher well-being, into being able to afford stuff. Protestantism had this idea in the early days already, in 1520, and the Reformation started in 1517. So in the early days of this new movement, education was already put forward as being relevant, then maybe that is the very root of income differences between Protestants and Catholics. It could be simply they are more educated, Protestants and Catholics, and that is it what makes them richer later on. Yeah? Now, I won't go, go through these equations, but we, we think about uh, supply, demand, and these things. Uh, we have some pictures like that. And I won't go into details here, not to bore you, but uh, for economists, you see this is a supply-demand diagram, and the blue curves are the situation pre-Reformation, only Catholics around. And then the idea between these two curves is simply that, as Luther said, on the one hand, he wants people to be able to read God's word, so that Protestants may, from this point on, think, oh, Reading is really cool because I can read the Bible. So he pushes one of these curves outward because people now think, oh, reading is good. At the same time, the upper curve is pushed inwards. What's going on here is if these rulers, these local rulers in the different areas of uh, Prussia, then really build more schools, then you as a young person are closer to the nearest school. So instead of having this school 50 miles away, there will be one in your village. And that, in turn, will make it less costly for you to go to school. Yeah? Both of these movements of the curves lead to a new crossing point, which is at a higher education level than before the Reformation. Yeah? So that's the economic theory behind you may not care, that's just fine with me, yeah? but the idea is the Reformation may have pushed education forward for the people who adopted Protestantism. Now, then we really go to the data. And the idea is, okay, Max Weber lived around 1870-80, and he wrote this famous book in 1904. So what he had in mind at the time was what was going on in the 19th century. So. We go back to census records, to books that are on the shelf in libraries, and we type them in, so we make them into a spreadsheet. We can use software, data, and so on, and try to see whether there is something to his thesis. Yeah? So at the same time, Prussia is the birthplace of the Reformation. So if anything, we believe that we can find it in its purest form where it came about, whereas Protestantism takes many different forms nowadays, evangelical Christians all around the world, and it may no longer be true to Luther's original idea. So we look at this particular area of the world. And what is nice for us in order to see these differences between 
Protestants and Catholics, you may be concerned that maybe one of the two religions was suppressed, yeah? that the state was against Catholics. But it turns out that in Prussia, um, the two religions were really tolerated to the same extent. So one of the rulers at the time, Frederick Craig, he said, everybody may find his salvation in his own way. So he didn't care. And when you go to Berlin nowadays, to the Brandenburg Gate, what you will see is, on the, close to that gate, on the main street, under the Linden, there is a Protestant church and a Catholic church next to each other that were built right there. Also as a symbol, we tolerate all religions. Yeah? Then one point we have to deal with is, what is economic development? And there, as economists, we take the data we have, and in the 19th century, you have to live with what the people collected as data at the time, so it's, it's uh, not easy to capture what is development. We have all these different indicators of economic development. Yeah? One of them is to say, okay, how many people are already working in the industrial sector and the service sector, so outside agriculture, because the idea is agriculture can hold people back, they only produce stuff for their own family, and the path to development is when they can break out of these rural areas, move to the towns and develop. So we have indicators like that. We also have uh, income measures, at least for some occupation groups, like for teachers, for people in the public sector. So we have variation in this across Prussia. So what we are looking at here is 450 counties within Prussia. So that is like comparing Warwickshire to West Midlands, East Midlands, Lancashire, Shropshire, and all these things. Yeah? So that's our unit of analysis. And we try to see some of these areas are Protestant, some are not. And we then try to see are uh, there income differences between them? And to what extent are the education differences between these counties driving the differences in income? So what's the role of education and how does religion contribute to these differences? Now, that is a map of Prussia, and I wish to add a pointer. So this red part up there, that's where about you have Hamburg, yeah, and the Baltic Sea. Then to the, to the west, uh, it's the Netherlands, and uh, then a bit further on, we have the UK. Yeah? So that's the area we are talking about. <coughs> so if that was the northern part of Germany, below that is Bavaria in these areas, if you've ever been there. And it turns out that Wittenberg, where Luther worked, and where he nailed his Reformation thesis on the church door in Wittenberg in 1517, is right there. And what this map shows you, the reddish areas are those with a Protestant majority. The, the blue ones are those with a Catholic majority, and the gray ones are in between. And when we looked at that picture, it looked like, okay, the Reformation seems to have spread like in a circle. It made it for four or five hundred kilometers, roughly, and then it came to a halt. Yeah? So we will be using this uh, propagation of the Reformation later on in trying to understand how education differences also developed. Now, just to give you an international perspective also, because you may say, well, who cares for Prussia? This is data from 1900, so from the same period, economic history, 100 years ago. 
where on this axis you have the share of Protestants, on the other axis you have a GDP per capita, so a measure of economic <coughs> development of income. And what we see is we have mostly Protestant countries in this corner, and on average they have a somewhat higher income there. Yeah? So there are countries like Denmark, Sweden, Great Britain, the Netherlands, Germany, and then further down in the left corner down there are mostly Catholic countries. So their income levels are overall somewhat lower. What do we find when we look at these Prussian data? So the starting point of what Max Weber said was Bank of Italy down here, so that is ITA and ESP. The first observation is to see, are there really these income differences that Max Weber claimed? Because maybe he just said Protestants are richer than Catholics, but it's just wrong. Yeah? But when you look at that again in the data, it turns out that when you look at many different indicators, that indeed uh, Protestants had higher incomes than Catholics. What we claim is a mechanism by which these income differences came about is that there are literacy differences. Now this is a graph again at the international level that shows you again the share of Protestants, but now the literacy rate that these people have. So the way you collect that in historical data is sometimes that you just have marriage records and you can count how many people were able to write their name. Yeah? But it can also be deducted from school records and so on. And I don't go into that. But what again you see is that the Protestant countries by 1900 have mostly reached 100% literacy rates or close to, whereas there are lots of Catholic countries down there with literacy rates of 30, 40, 50%. Yeah? So there are these education differences. Now, then we do a regression analysis, and if you can't read the numbers or if you don't uh, understand the numbers, that's fine, I'll tell you. What the numbers show you is that across the board, in different specifications, we find that Protestant areas in Prussia have higher literacy rates. We then try to see whether other factors can explain these literacy differences. So we put in all these variables that you see in the left column, but the literacy differences remain. So there is really something going on in terms of these literacy differences. What we are worried about, and that maybe more of the worry that economists have, is is this a causal effect? Or could it be that for some reason, areas in 1500 that were already better educated choose to become Protestants? And then things, the causality would be turned around. So if we measure differences in literacy rates in 1900, they are essentially only picking up literacy differences in 1400. And the Reformation is granted. Yeah? So what we try to show is that indeed the Reformation came as a surprise, first of all. The way it propagated had a pattern, this concentric pattern that you saw. And before the Reformation, the differences we see in 1900 did not exist. So that they are the result of the Reformation. Yeah? So that we can really say, okay, these literacy differences are caused by religious sects. Yeah? 
And that is relevant because sometimes when we talk about development, we talk about 50 different factors, but are we sure which one is more important and how important, and if it is important at all? And that's why here we care to see what, to show that indeed religion does matter, yeah? in a positive and negative sense. Yeah? From a Protestant perspective, it might have been good for the development, but if you happen to be in a Catholic area, that was bad. Yeah? So now, <coughs> um, then we deal with all kinds of issues go into history, we try to understand how did the Reformation period go about. And what I have to tell you is this. So what later became Prussia, it was one <coughs> country, was in 1500 consisting of 300 small political units. So in 1500 something, there was a king that was responsible for a mini area of five square meters, yeah? and another king next door, and these guys, during the Reformation period, decided whether they would like to be Protestant or not. And the rule that they adopted at federal meetings where they met once per year, all these politicians, was the ruler decides and then all these people become Protestant or all stay Catholic. So that essentially pressed onto whole populations a new faith or not. And as you saw from this propagation pattern, this concentric, it turns out that rulers close to Wittenberg, where Luther was, were more likely to become Protestant. Now, people may have, of course, religious convictions why they become Protestant or not, but then the economist's thought here is, cost and benefits, that if you were close to Wittenberg, it was more likely that Luther or his friends came to your place and talked to you and said, you should become Protestant. Whereas if you were a thousand kilometers away, it was less likely that they would push you to become Protestant. Okay? So we use exactly this propagation mechanism to try and see that the literacy results that we observe are indeed caused by um, this spread around Wittenberg. What helps us here is that at Luther's times, according to historical records, only 1% of the population could read and write. Yeah? So we are really starting from zero. Then the Reformation hits, and what the Protestant rulers really did, and we have data on that, is they did start to build schools. So in places where before there was no school, they started to build schools. Let me show you some more results. So this is just a table for those of you who have already seen regressions in their life. That is just a table that tries to make the point that before the Reformation, the education centers of Prussia, of Germany, and the economic centers of Germany were not clustered around Wittenberg. This is trying to get up to that point that you may be worried that the Reformation was only picked up by people who were already rich and who already had education. And if we show that the location of universities and of schools and of trade centers around Wittenberg was more or less random. Yeah? They were all over the place. All over Germany you found universities and they weren't clustered around Wittenberg before the Reformation. 
But then the Reformation hit, and the Protestant rulers started building schools, started building universities, and then that picked up in Protestant areas. This is just one of these pictures yeah, that shows you that in distance to Wittenberg, the location of universities that existed before 1517 is all over the place. Yeah? So you have dots all over the place and not just close to Wittenberg. What I want to show you next is this. Now, what I hope to have you convinced about by now is that culture, and in our particular context, religion and form of Protestantism, did have an impact on education. But Max Weber claimed there is an effect on economic success. So what we show in this table is that in Protestant areas, people also had higher incomes. Yeah? So that is the first line. But the funny thing is that once we control, that are the last three columns, the second line, once we throw in literacy rates, the religion effect is gone. So what that means is religion or culture had an effect on literacy rates, and literacy rates have an effect on economic success, on income, on economic development. But once you control for literacy differences, religion doesn't matter anymore. So religion is important to get you educated, but if you were to compare two cities, say Coventry and Birmingham, and say Coventry is Protestant and Birmingham is Catholic, and they have the same literacy rate, they will have the same income in our data. What that means is these religious differences can be overcome. So religion may historically have driven differences in education, but if a region that is not crossed is pushed to the same literacy level, it reaches the same economic outcome. So we can, so to say, overturn these effects if we get people to learn, to study, and give them access to education. And then there is no Protestant ethic left. Just to show you that these things are really surviving a long time. What this is showing, and this goes unnoticed nowadays, and there may be Germans in the audience, and when I saw these data, I was surprised. Yeah? So when you talk to people nowadays, you rarely talk about religion. So if you sit in a lecture, you don't care whether your neighbor is Protestant or Catholic, right? Well, I don't. Yeah? It turns out that if you look at data of individuals in Germany today, year 2000, still Protestants have one more year of education. That means they have a higher share of people who go to university, a higher share of students who complete university. And they also still have higher incomes today. And I'm not saying that it is still this Protestant mindset that the Protestant nowadays thinks, oh, because I'm Protestant, I have to study more. But nowadays people may not even know that they are Protestant, but since all their forefathers were Protestant, <coughs> and 10 generations ago, education had so large differences across these two groups, it still perpetuates today. Because it turns out, if you look at data, 
that religion is one of the most stable things passed on from generation to generation. Yeah? If your father voted communist, you may vote something else, but if your father was Catholic, you are Catholic by default. Yeah? You may switch, but few people do. So we can still trace back these things you observe nowadays, probably to what started going 500 years ago. So that is actually one reason why also looking at historic data is sometimes easier. Because in the 20th century, 21st century, we have to deal with atheism, yeah? uh, people of the out of church, and it may be that the richest people of out of church, yeah? they end up in that category. What we concluded personally from this particular paper is uh, was Weber wrong? He claimed it's Protestant ethic. Well, he was clearly right in his original observation that Catholics earn more than Protestants, but maybe it's not the ethic that brings about the differences, but it's the education differences. That's what we concluded. Now, one thing we were still worried about is, did we get our story right, or could it be that since we have a gap in our data, we look at the information, and then we jump to 1900, and couldn't it be maybe that it was still the Protestant ethic that brought about industrialization, and then when all these industrialists, the capitalists were around, they thought, oh, in order to get this firm running, I need people to be educated. So that industrialization came first, and education came second. But in a related work, we show that these education differences really existed much earlier, and they actually existed already in 1816, which in Germany was before the industrialization. The UK industrialized from 1770 on, but all other countries in the world started as late as 18-something, and some countries even nowadays are not yet industrialized. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is the gender dimension, because what is striking is it's now been for centuries that we've been running behind and trying to get both genders educated to the same degree. And the World Bank has been writing now for 40, 50 years in their annual reports as the development goal, equal access to education for women. They wrote that in 1950, they wanted to achieve it by 1960, they did. They wrote in 1960, we want to achieve it by 1970, they did. They still write it today, so we are still not there. And also these gender differences are, as we believe, partly driven by cultural things. Religion is one of the factors. So what we also looked at again in the uh, German context, where we have this nice little laboratory that we have Protestants and Catholics to the same amount, something we can't do to the same extent in Italy. In Italy, I want to look at the effect of Protestantism. I can't, because they are all Catholic. Yeah? So that's why we look at Prussia. Not because we are in love with Prussia, but because it happens to have a good history that helps you to see these things. What we have here is, again, the quote that we already looked at, that already in Reformation times, there was a push for girls to be educated. And here we have some data that I personally quite like. So this table down here shows you the number of boys' schools and the number of girls' schools at the time 
there was still segregated education for both genders. And in the early days of the Reformation, there were, in one of the central areas of Prussia, Brandenburg, which is the area around Berlin, there were 55 boys' schools. And over the next 60 years, those, this number increased from 55 to uh, 100. But the number of girls' schools went up by factor 10. Yeah? There were essentially no girls' schools to begin with. And then, especially in the second phase, we go from 9 to 45. So after the Reformation started to uh, really get going, these Protestant rulers started to build schools. Yeah? And the way they did that is they did these church visitations. So they came from Wittenberg and they went to the local priest and they said, you run a school here, yeah? and we give you money, you build a school, and you educate these kids. And they also wrote special school books for girls. I don't know why they thought girls need different school books. But what's nice about it is there were school books for girls. And that gives evidence there was education for girls. So they really pushed that a lot. For the more general context that I already talked about a bit earlier on, and I jump here a bit about uh, over different tables, is how did the story continue? Yeah. So in our early results, we look at 1816. What we show there is not only are Protestants as a group more educated than Catholics, but also the gender gap is smaller. So the ranking we have is here, uh, in terms of literacy rates, Protestant men are the most literate, Protestant women are a little less literate, but they are more literate than Catholic men. And if you take the ratios, it turns out that the gender gap is among Protestants smaller. So in a sense, Protestantism pushed also emancipation in education. Those may have been the historic roots by which differences came about between different religious or cultural groups. They all started at zero, no one went to school, some time back, Adam and Eve. Then religion may have been a factor that pushed one group forward compared to the other. But then what happened is, at some point, in the German context, the state kicked in and said, no, everyone goes to school till age 14. Because then when we follow up the numbers to 1900, by then, everyone in Germany goes to school. Both boys and girls, Protestants and Catholic, they all go. But by that time, the Protestants have pushed ahead, and they are now leading in secondary schooling. <coughs> so Catholics are pushed to take primary schooling to the very end, till age 13, 14. But by then, this religiously driven gender gap has opened up again in secondary schooling, where Catholic women are behind, but Protestant women are catching up with the men, Protestant men. But then again, that gap gets closed. And the state says, now everyone goes to school till age 16 and 17. But then we observe, and that is also an interesting uh, figure that I want to show you before closing. Only in 1908 were women allowed to go to university. So there were, even in 
in now developed countries, if you flash back 150 years, they did the same stupid thing that other countries do nowadays. They just didn't allow them to go to school. At least they didn't allow them to go to tertiary schooling. So when universities finally opened up to women in 1908, Protestants had in the population a share of two thirds, but Protestant women had a share of 89% among female students. Yeah, so again, it's like the Protestant women waiting at the door to get in. So what, what I'm trying to say with that is culture may often be a driving force that either pushes the development, like in the Protestant case, or holds back the development, as in the Catholic case, but then the state intervening and kind of saying, okay, there is a, a necessary limit of education that everyone should get, was able to make up for these culturally or religiously driven differences. It turns out that these gender differences then still continued after World War II. And it's only nowadays, in the 2000s, that these gender differences in education access to universities have finally evened out. So these are often processes that take decades, if not centuries. And that is what makes development such a difficult thing. We would like things to change now, but it often takes such a long time. Let me give you a complete summary of everything. So what, after doing some research on issues over the last three, four years, uh, five years, I think I can say with some confidence is that religion matters or cultural matters if you want to take it broader. And uh, in particular, we have looked at the long-run effects of the Protestant Reformation as one example of how religion or culture affected economic development. And not only do denominations as such differ, so Protestants versus Catholics as uh, groups, there's also evidence for this gender dimension, where some religions are more open to females developing, whereas other religions uh, just stop them from Some of you have a plan to do some more research work later on, apart from the active engagement in developing policy, then this whole con context of religion, culture, and economics is still one where lots can be done. We still have too little understanding from a research perspective about things going on, say, in Muslim countries and so on, and uh, how there things have played out over history. But let me close.